Our Bible reading comes from Ezekiel, the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36, the first 23 verses. Son of man, prophesy to the mountains of Israel and say, Mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord God says. Because the enemy has said about you, Aha, the ancient sites have become our possession. Therefore, prophesy and say, This is what the Lord God says. Because they have made you desolate and have trampled you from every side, so that you became a possession for the rest of the nations and an object of people's gossip and slander, therefore, mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord God. This is what the Lord God says to the mountains and hills, to the ravens and the valleys, to the desolate ruins and abandoned cities which have become plunder and a mockery to the rest of the nations all around. This is what the Lord God says. Certainly in my burning zeal I speak against the rest of the nations and all of Edom who took my land as their own possession with wholehearted rejoicing and utter contempt so that its pasture land became plunder. Therefore, prophesy concerning Israel's land and say to the mountains and hills, to the ravens and the valleys, this is what the Lord God says. Look, I speak in my burning zeal because you have endured the insult of the nations. Therefore, this is what the Lord God says. I swear that the nations all around you will endure their own insults. You mountains of Israel will produce your branches and bear your fruit for my people Israel, since their arrival is near. Look, I am on your side. I will turn towards you, and you will be tilled and sown. I will fill you with people, with the whole house of Israel in its entirety. The cities will be inhabited and the ruins rebuilt. I will fill you with people and animals. They will increase and be fruitful. I will make you inhabited as you once were and make you better off than you were before. Then you will know that I am the Lord. I will cause people, my people Israel, to walk on you. They will possess you and you will be their inheritance. You will no longer deprive them of their children. This is what the Lord God says. Because some are saying to you, you devour people and deprive your nation of children. Therefore, you will no longer devour people and deprive your nation of children. This is the declaration of the Lord God. I will no longer allow the insults of the nations to be heard against you, and you will not have to endure the reproach of the peoples anymore. You will no longer cause your nation to stumble. This is the declaration of the Lord God. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, while the house of Israel lived in their land, they defiled it with their conduct and actions. Their behavior before me was like menstrual impurity. So I poured out my wrath on them because of the blood they had shed on the land and because they had defiled it with their idols. I dispersed them among the nations and they were scattered among the countries. I judged them according to their conduct and actions. 
When they came to the nations where they went, they profaned my holy name because it was said about them, these are the people of the Lord. Yet they had to leave his land in exile. Then I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel profaned among the nations where they went. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, this is what the Lord God says. It is not for your sake that I will act, house of Israel, but for my holy name, which you profaned among the nations where you went. I will honor the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them. The nations will know that I am the Lord. This is the declaration of the Lord God when I demonstrate my holiness through you in their sight. Thanks, Roger. Our text for this morning is, uh, as already been said, taken from uh, Matthew chapter 6, second part of, or the first part of, uh, second part of verse 9, very well known words, of course, the first petition in the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be your name. I wonder if you know what it's like to be homesick. I had a friend many years ago who, like my own family, had come to New Zealand as a migrant from Holland. But unlike us, as soon as Dick arrived, he found that he was terribly, terribly homesick. He became totally depressed. He would suddenly burst out in tears at the the most unexpected of moments. He just could not cope with being away from the place where he grew up, from the family he grew up with, from the land where he was born. Unfortunately for him, he did not have the money for his return passage. And so Dick was forced to remain in New Zealand for more than a year. But as soon as he had finally earned enough money, he booked himself a flight, packed up his belongings, And oh, his happiness and his joy when he could finally, finally go home. And perhaps it was like that too for many of the Jewish people in exile. There they were in in Babylon, banished from their own country, banished because of their sins, because they had left the Lord their God and disobeyed his commandments and had turned instead to worshipping heathen idols. And although their life in exile wasn't all that bad, and some had done well and were happy to call Babylon their permanent home, yet many others desperately wanted to go back to their own country. So they wondered, will we ever be allowed to return to our own nation? Will God ever forgive us? Will he ever take us back to Jerusalem and the hills and the mountains of Judah. Will those mountains so devastated by the Babylonian armies ever again be green with the crops and orchards of a thriving nation? So Ezekiel here in our reading says, and he speaks in the name of the Lord, because he is God's prophet, yes, God will do so. 
The Lord will have compassion on his people. He will forgive them their sins and restore them to their own nation. And not too far in the future either, but you, O mountains of Israel, will produce branches and fruit for my people Israel, for they will soon come home. Yes, my people will soon come home. What an exciting message. But why? Is it because they have been so good while they were in exile? Is it because they have now, been, now made up for their former bad behavior? Or is it because the Lord still loves them despite their sins, despite their rebellion? Yes, no doubt all of these reasons are true in some ways. We find them all mentioned, if not here, then at least in, in other parts of the Bible. When we read this passage, we see that these are not the main reason God has mercy on his people. They are not the chief reasons he is going to restore them to their land and to return them from exile. No, that prime reason is stated in verse 22 of our reading. Therefore say to the house of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm going to do these things but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone, I will show the holiness of my great name, which had been profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I show myself holy through you, before their eyes. Why is it, first of all, that God will rescue his people? It is because of the honor of his name, his name which had been profaned among the nations, so that his name may be revered, so that his name may be kept holy. And the Israelites had desecrated that holy name. They had given God a bad name by their bad behavior, by their sinful actions. And that's why they had been forced into exile. But the heathen nations round about had not understood that. They had said, look at the God of Israel. It was he who really was defeated. He was not powerful enough to keep his people from conquest at the hands of King Nebuchadnezzar. The Babylonian gods are obviously far more powerful than he is. And so it is for this reason that God now will restore his people also, so that the nations might know that he is the great and mighty God who can save his people. It is for this reason above all. It is for this purpose in the first place. And the Lord is very, very clear about that. I want you to know that I am not doing this for your sake declares the Sovereign Lord, verse 32 continues. Not for the sake of the Israelites in exile, at least not in the first place, but for the sake of God's standing, for the sake of His reputation, and for the honor of His holy name. Are we concerned? Are we zealous for the honor of God's name? That's also the subject we're looking at this morning. When you pray, says Jesus, say, uh, pray, hallowed be your name. 
That is the Lord's Prayer's first, and therefore arguably also its most important petition. And then we may well ask, do we truly pray that? And do we truly mean that also? Are we indeed concerned, above all, for God's name? For upholding His honor? When we look at this world, when we, we look around us and we see people dishonoring God's name, and there are so many ways in which they can and do do that, not only with their lips, but also with their actions, when we see the oppression and the injustice and the cruelty and the wickedness in this world, are we upset? Are we distressed? Are we worried? Oh yes, I know we, we do get worried soon enough when, when we are troubled that these things may threaten us, when we fear that they may happen to us and, and affect our future and our lifestyle. When we hear of war, war in the Ukraine and, and the death and destruction so unfairly unleashed by Vladimir Putin upon the unfortunate inhabitants of that nation, in the many ways that affects us the rest of the world as well, from a shortage of grain to, to the rise in petrol prices. When we learn of the tensions surrounding Taiwan, and especially right now with the, the visit of Nancy Pelosi, and that we would be totally unprepared as a nation in the disturbing case that a, a conflict would break out with China. And when we are told that Kim Jong-un is once again threatening to unleash his nuclear warheads and, and find out that the doomsday clock has recently been advanced again and is now set to only 200 seconds before midnight, or to come closer to home when we hear of the many cases of child abuse or marriage breakdown or family violence, violence, and then we wonder and worry about the state of the society we live in, both right here and now, and, and what is the kind of world we are leaving to our children. And I'm sure that's not wrong. But that's not what I'm talking about at the moment. What I'm saying is this. We should be worried also. We should be worried in the first place for quite another reason if we are Christians. And that is because these things also dishonor God. Because they profane His name. Because they are against His will. Because people are breaking His commandments. Not just us, not us in the first place even, but God. We should be jealous for His name. We should be zealous for the honor of His reputation. That should come first. That's what, why we are told and what we are told to pray for first as Christians. And only then also for our own good. The Lord's Prayer, is, as I'm sure you know, contains six petitions. And the first three are to do with God. His name. His kingdom. His will. And only then do we come to our needs for daily bread, for forgiveness, for deliverance from temptation and evil. And even in those last three, it is still God who comes first. Even then, between the first three and the last three, there is a close connection. But you know, for instance, that, that there is a relation between the honoring of God's name and our daily bread. That even in the provision of our everyday needs, God's name 
should be honored. Listen to what it says in, in Proverbs 30, verse 8. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal, and so dishonor the name of my God, it says there. Why does God provide us with our daily needs? He does so, first of all, not so that we may have enough to keep warm and dry and, and have sufficient to fill our bellies, but, but to the honor of His name. Because His honor, His reputation, His holiness come first. God's honor comes first. It is the most important. Do you know that? Do you acknowledge that? You know, you must if you are a Christian. That, of course, is one of the main things which should distinguish the Christian from the unbeliever. The non-Christian puts himself first. She looks for the good of herself and perhaps in some cases also of a few other people. When he looks at the world situation, he says, how does this affect me? And perhaps my loved ones. And that's really all that matters. But we should some say something quite different from that. We should say, first of all, how does this relate to the glory of God? How can His name be honored? Because when we belong to Christ, then His concerns become our concerns. And His values become our values. And Christ's first concern was the glory of His Father. You know that this prayer from which I've taken this morning's text is, is called the Lord's Prayer. But did you know that that really is a misnomer? That the real Lord's Prayer is not found here in Matthew 6, but, but instead in John 17? The real Lord's Prayer is that prayer which Jesus himself prayed just before his passion. And this is how Jesus opens that prayer. Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. Jesus' first aim was always to glorify his Father. And when his Father's name was not glorified, then Jesus became sad, and at times he also became angry, and then he castigated the Pharisees, and he threw the money changers out of the temple. And John, in his gospel, when recording that particular incident, adds in chapter 2, verse 17, his disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. Zeal for your house will consume me. Jesus was zealous for the honor of God's house. Why? I'll tell you why. When I looked up all the verses in the Bible, where God's name is mentioned, one thing that struck me was that time and again, when the Old Testament refers to the building of the temple, it is referred to as the place where I will put my name there. The temple was the place where God dwelt, where above all the name of the Lord was meant to be honored. And so to dishonor the temple was to dishonor God's name. 
To profane the temple was to treat God's name as unholy. And so when we ask why Jesus threw these money changers out of the temple grounds, then the answer is in the first place that he was hallowing God's name. Hallowed be your name. Are we concerned for the honor of God's name as his people? When we look at injustice, at greed, at oppression, at pollution, at poverty and the many, many other evils in this world, what is our reaction? Do we shrug our shoulders and say, well, it doesn't affect us, so who cares? Let's face it, these things happen. It was ever that way. You know, we cannot do that. We may not do that if we are truly Christians. When we belong to Christ, we will see these things with the eyes of Christ. The well-known Christian sociologist and writer Tony Campolo, in his book, You Can Make a Difference, writes about what it means to belong to Jesus. And he mentions three things. He states that if we really belong to him, then we will know a joy the world doesn't know. But also that if we truly belong to the Lord, then like Christ, we will have to suffer. Then the things that make him suffer will affect us too. And then this is the third thing he mentions, the third effect of those who belong to Jesus. And I quote, there is one last thing that you will come to know in being surrendered to Jesus. You will come to know his anger. That's right, anger. Jesus gets angry. There are all kinds of things that make him angry. Poverty makes him angry. Political oppression makes him angry. Economic injustice makes him angry. Racism and sexism make him angry. All of these demonic social conditions make him angry. It is time for you to realize that when you become a Christian, the things that are wrong with this world will make you angry too. They will anger you so much that you will say, Jesus, I am ready to join with you in trying to destroy the works of the devil. That's what it says in 1 John 3 verse 8. We are called to destroy the works of Satan. So far, the quote. And he is right, isn't he? Jesus gets angry. And we too should get angry. Because all these things dishonor the glory and offend the holiness of God's name. Do we get angry? Or do we remain indifferent to problems of this world? As long as they don't affect us and our little circle. We cannot do that and pray this prayer. When we pray this petition, then this is what we are saying. Lord, we are concerned about these things. Lord, please do something about these things. Not in the first place because they affect us or worry us or, or disadvantage us, but because in them and through them your name is being dishonored. And we want to see your name lifted up. We want to see your righteousness, your glory, your holiness exalted. 
You are a God who is worthy of the praise of all of your creation. You are the one who is highly lifted up. You are the one to whom all honor is due. But Lord, there are so many things which profane your name which take away your honor. Oh Lord, rise up. Do not allow your name to be dragged through the dust any longer. In the 1976 film Max Havelaar, which is based on the Dutch classic written by Edward Dower's Decker, better known as Multatuli, there's a very powerful scene towards the end. Max Havelaar has been unjustly relieved of his post as the administrator of Lebak, a poverty-stricken district in the then Dutch East Indies. As administrator, he had tried to bring relief to the poor, oppressed native people of his district. But he had been outmaneuvered at every step by the local Raja, the local ruler. And so as a last resort, he travels to Bogor, or Bautenzorg, as it was then called, a city in the mountains somewhat south of Jakarta. And the residence of the Governor General of the Indies, which was situated there, to ask to plead for justice. And when he arrives at that beautiful place, that beautiful palace, he is ushered into a waiting room. There he sits and he waits to be summoned. But after waiting a long time, it becomes painfully obvious to him that no one is going to see him. They don't want to see him because they don't want to listen to his complaint, to his plea on behalf of the poor. And as this dawns on him, Max Havla becomes very upset and very agitated. He starts to pace the room, and as he does so, he spots there hanging on one of the walls a picture of the king, the Dutch king. And in his hopeless desperation, he begins to address it. And this is what he says to the portrait of the king. Listen to me. Listen to me. Out there, 30 million natives are being abused, exploited, starved, and murdered. And it's done in your name. In your name. In your name. Yes, in your name. Do you know, in a sense, that what we are saying also to God? It's done in your name. These are your creatures. You made them. You ruled them. Yet, they are sinning against you all the time, and they are killing and oppressing and exploiting and abusing each other. For your name's sake, oh Lord, do something about it. Don't let this go on. Don't let evil continue to triumph. How long, O oh Lord, before you will deal with the wicked? As once you showed your power, when you returned the Israelites to the native mountains in the sight of the nations, 
O oh Lord, act in your might, we beseech you. For we are zealous for the glory, for the grandeur, for the honor of your name. Hallowed be your name. Are you zealous for the glory of God's name? Are you truly concerned for his honor? Do you earnestly pray that his name may be glorified, may be hallowed? If you are, then I have good news for you. <laughs> Your prayer will surely be answered. God will hallow his name. In fact, he has already begun to answer your prayer. He began to answer it right back there in the one who taught us to pray this prayer in Jesus. No, perhaps not quite in the way in which many might have expected by God stepping in and defeating his enemies, though that too will happen. But the first way in which God answers this prayer is not by meeting out revenge, but by granting his mercy. The first way was by making his enemies his friends, by offering them reconciliation. Paul, in his letter to the Romans, speaks about it in chapter 3. You see, Paul writes there, God had a problem, didn't he? How to be merciful and at the same time how to be holy, how to be righteous. And God solved this problem by taking the punishment which we deserved for our sins and putting it instead on His own Son, on Jesus. I quoted just before from Christ's high priestly prayer, Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. And yes, that prayer too was answered. Jesus was glorified, but first he was vilified. First he was despised and rejected and nailed to a cross. Why? So that that other part of his prayer might first be fulfilled. So that Jesus too could first glorify his Father. So that the holy God could, through Christ's death, remain holy and yet be reconciled to sinners. So that God could at one and the same time be just and the one who justifies the man or woman who has faith in Jesus. So that God could be merciful to you and to me who do not deserve his mercy. And yet at one and the same time protect his righteousness and glory. Preserve the sanctity of his holy name. Yes, this prayer has already begun to be fulfilled. For God's name was hallowed and glorified, first of all, in our redemption through Jesus. And it continues to be fulfilled, also already here and now, in those who are his, through the power of his Holy Spirit. Of that too, Ezekiel speaks right after the passage that we read earlier this morning. And I quote, For I will take you out of the nations, I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. 
I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws, God says there. In the power of his spirit, those who belong to him now should strive to live more and more to the glory of his name, already also in the present. And then it also will be fulfilled completely in the future. For the day will come when this same Jesus will return, and this time in all his wonderful glory. For God has given him a name which is above every name on earth and in heaven. And that time he will come to judge. For on that day all who persist in dishonoring God's name will be subdued. And all injustice and all oppression and all sin and all evil and all wickedness will vanish. And all God's enemies will be put under the feet of Christ the King. And every creature on that day will bow before him. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father and to the glory of his holy name. Yes, that day will surely come. Are you looking forward to that day? Are you asking God to hasten that day? Can you say with the scriptures, Oh Lord Jesus, come quickly? I guess that will depend very much on whether you are in agreement with this morning's petition. On whether you're truly concerned with the glory of the Lord or whether you're mainly concerned with your own little problems, with the things you want to do, with the happiness you want to achieve here on earth. And never mind the unhappiness and troubles of others. Never mind that in so many ways the name of the Lord is constantly being dishonored. I guess that depends very much on whether God's concerns are your concerns. On whether Christ's business is your business too. On whether you really do have the mind of Christ as you should have as a Christian. I guess that ultimately depends on whether you can and do pray and really mean it. Hallowed be your name. Amen. Not having any questions, we're just having one question this morning, and it's the one I just asked. But we will pray together the Lord's Prayer. So let's do so now. Our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory, now and forever. Amen.